you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey everybody, it's Daniel Jeremiah from Move the Sticks. And I'm Bucky Brooks, and this is the Clemson Tigers defensive line 360. There's pressure right in the face. Get used to it. Sacked, lost the ball. They got four outstanding D linemen. Third and six, and the play goes nowhere. Play action. Here comes pressure, and he's hit and dropped. Second down and nine. Look out for Christian Wilkins. It's too late. All right, Buck, for those that uh, don't know about the 360 series, it's it's where we take a deep dive, usually on one individual player, although we've made an exception on this episode because it's not often you have a defensive line as talented as this Clemson group, all entering the draft at the exact same time. So we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on all the members of the Clemson defensive line. Yeah, today you're going to hear from coaches, family members, an elementary school principal, and of course, from the four national champion defensive linemen themselves. All right, before we get to those interviews, though, Buck, just kind of our take on these guys. And I say we start, let's start with, uh, let's start with uh, Big Dexter there. Dexter Lawrence, uh, your evaluation of him and, uh, and where you see him fitting in at the next level. You know, Dexter is a very, very talented run-stopping defensive tackle, a guy that is ideally suited to be a nose tackle at the next level. Um, size, strength, athleticism. He has all those things in space, but what he really has is a unique uh, athleticism for a guy that is 340 pounds. Uh, You just don't see guys who are that big that can move like that. Um, When it comes to his ceiling and his floor, I think he has the opportunity to be a guy that is a dominant nose tackle, a guy that really commands double teams consistently, creates disruption against the run, and maybe is able to push the pocket a little bit. If you think about, like, what he could do and what he could be. I think he could be maybe a, a more athletic version of what Vince Wilfork was able to do uh, for the New England Patriots for years and years on end, meaning a big athletic man, but a guy that really is a nice zero technique that kind of dominates everything and clogs up the middle. One thing it's going to do is wherever he goes, the guys that play behind him on that second level, the linebackers are going to love him because he can eat up 
a lot of blocks allow those linebackers to flow and make a bunch of tackles. So you're a team that's got maybe a little undersized and you want to have some speed there at the second level. Uh, somebody like Dexter Lawrence is going to help benefit those guys in what they do. I think he steps in day one. He's a starter. He can dominate against the run. He's going to push the pocket, as you said, as a pass rusher with maybe a little bit of upside there. Uh, I think you got some development to take place, but there is some quickness that you see uh, that could bode well for him and, and his uh, future development. All right, how about Christian Wilkins, Buck, another defensive lineman? Look, man, you just don't see guys that are this talented and athletic up front. I mean, he is one of the rare guys that I believe can play anywhere from a zero technique to a nine, meaning that he can play over the nose or he can kick all the way outside and be a wide defensive end on some pass rush situations. Unique talent, a guy that has outstanding first-step quickness, has excellent movement skills, balance, and body control. Um, you can see this guy being a disruptive force at the next level in a movement-based defense that allows him to really shoot gaps and penetrate. He has all the tools that you look for at those positions. Yeah, I don't think you want him to just sit in two-gap. I don't think you're going to like what you get um, if that's what your goal is. But put him in a gap. Let him get upfield. Uh, you talk about somebody on the backside in the run game with his quickness and the effort that he plays with. Uh, he's going to make a lot of plays. You try and run away from him. And then as a pass rusher, quick feet, quick hands, uh, he's loose. He can get in gaps and, and be pretty disruptive there. So I, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's one of the 10 best players in this year's draft class. How about uh, Cleveland Farrell here on the outside? You know, Farrell is someone that everyone is looking for, that speed rusher to kind of add to the defense. And Farrell is, is that guy. First step quickness, burst, can bend and turn the corner, has a great closing burst to finish, um, but also shows a little bit of ability to kind of work inside when he feels the, the tackle overset. Cleveland Farrell reeled him in. When I look at him, I look at a guy that eventually is going to be able to not only run around the – the, the edge to get to the quarterback, but he's going to be able to convert some of that speed into power, take some guys on right down the middle, and then work inside. I like his long arm move. I just think this guy has a ton of potential. Um, I have him graded just outside the top 20 in terms of top 20 players, but I think he's a guy that could be a perennial 10-sack artist in the right situation. Yeah, I like his game. I think it translates really well. I think we're probably in the same boat. He's my 21st player. Um, but what I like about him is he can do everything. You, against the run, let's start there. He can set the edge, uses his length, uh, a real physical, physical player there at the point of attack, so you don't have to worry about him in rundowns. And then as a pass rusher, more power than anything else. You mentioned that long arm. He's really good with his hands. He's got the production in college to back it up against quality opponents, so uh, you like to see that. Usually that translates to the next level. Plays extremely hard, and the character, as, as everybody's going to learn as we go through these interviews today, uh, the character is off the charts. A pretty special young guy. Yeah, special young guys, as all of these guys. And I think the guy that is often neglected is Austin Bryant. Uh, and Austin Bryant, a guy mm -hmm. who was a solid starter, a guy who was an excellent contributor, he is not quite in the same caliber or class as his three teammates, but he's someone that is certainly productive. To a rolling, shovel pass, and the Tigers sniffed it out. Austin Bryant. And one thing we know about Clemson defensive linemen, they find their way into the league and they find a way to stick. Uh, look no further than what Grady Jarrett has been able to do during his time with the Atlanta Falcons. Austin Bryant is a guy that is a blue-collar worker, kind of a hard hat and lunch pail guy. Uh, physical at the point of attack, has some intriguing traits. And so it's just a matter of where does he fit in? How can he jump into the rotation and give you contributions? But there's no doubt in my mind that he plays and plays for a long time in the league. Yeah, no doubt. I, I echo everything that you just said there. And I think uh, he's going to be a value. You know, I don't know where he's going to end up going. I have, I have him valued in that late second round range. 
Uh, I think he's going to be an excellent, excellent pro football player who just got a little bit neglected and forgotten about uh, in this group. And by the way, I feel like before we get to these interviews, uh, all apologies to Burt Huggins, another uh, draftable defensive lineman from Clemson. We're not doing a deep dive on Mr. Huggins today. Did not start for this team. He's a backup. But I do think he's going to be a draftable player in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, that speaks to the overall depth and talent of this Clemson group. All right, let's lead things off here with a special interview. It's a, it's a first for us here on Move the Six because this one is with the principal of an elementary school in South Carolina. All right, Buck, I, I can't be more excited than I am right now because during the 360 series, we've got a chance to talk to teammates, high school coaches, college coaches, guys that have trained these players as they get ready for the combine. We've talked to basketball coaches. We've talked to baseball coaches. We have yet to talk to an elementary school principal. And to me, <laughs> that is the most important role of anybody we've talked to. Uh, Ashley Robertson joins us right now. And Ashley, you have a unique connection to one of the players on the Clemson defensive line. I'll give you the floor and let you share the story. I do. Thank you. Um, so he came to our school, James and Brown Elementary in Wahala, South Carolina, and he was our sub for the day. Um, and as for those that don't know, who is it? Because there's so many Clemson defensive linemen. Which which Clemson defensive lineman did you have as a sub? Absolutely. They're all amazing. But I had the one and only Christian Wilkins here. <laughs> there we go. Yes. He was able to come to our school and uh, be with our pre-K kids and our kindergarten kids. And so it was very interesting to see him come in and him to be extremely scared at first. Um, and he even referenced the kindergarten cop option. And I was like, yep, that's exactly what it's going to be like for a big guy like you in this room with little kids. Uh, but he, he did outstanding. The kindergarten cop, Christian Wilkins. You know, and, and, and thinking about that, it's, it's so unique to have a star player who not only goes to an elementary, but really wants to be a part of the educational process, um, having gone through his student teaching and doing that. How unique is it to have someone with his kind of uh, accolades come to an elementary school and really want to be all in when it comes to educating the kids? Absolutely. And it definitely was all in. Uh, when he first came in, I asked him, do you want us to tell the adults in the building to kind of stay away a little bit? Um, but you could tell from the minute he walked in the door, he was all about his job and his job was to educate children. It was not about the notoriety. It was not about doing um, a sub position and being a player. It was quite clear he was there for the children. Um, now, the children my kids had no idea who he was. There were very few that did. Um, and so it was, it was great to see him interact as if everything was completely normal for them. Well, this begs the question, is he a bring-your-own-lunch-to-school guy or is he going to go in there and get after the cafeteria food? He did. Um, that actually stood out to me because I had to find the, the refrigerator for him. But he brought it in a little brown, um, almost like a gift bag type thing, and it had a little note on the outside. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's phenomenal. That's unbelievable. So, so now, Ashley, for you, how, um, I guess how, how rewarding is it, like, knowing that you're a Clemson grad, you have all your degrees, three degrees that you earned from Clemson, you are a self-proclaimed, self-touted, super fan of the football team. How exciting was it for you to have one of the stars of your team in your elementary working under your direction? So that morning when my secretary called me and said, you're never going to believe who's here, 
my kids in my car on the way to school were scared to death because I started yelling and screaming. I was so excited. Um, I got to the front office and I told everybody in the front office, I said, he's mine. I'm walking him down to the classroom. Um, so nobody else really had a chance to do anything. Um, and so, yes, ultimately I was over the moon, excited. But what stood out to me most importantly was his professionalism. And I know the program that Dabo sends them through. Um, and it was quite evident that Dabo is growing men for the real world, not just someone playing a sport. Actually, I've got to ask you, I know I haven't got your, your three degrees there from Clemson and been a fan of this football program. Uh, what does it mean to you as a fan when you see those Clemson Tigers come running down the hill and then I'm going to let Bucky share his little story that he has uh, with the Hill. But just as a fan, as somebody that's went to Clemson, what does that run down the Hill mean to you? Uh, it's the most amazing 25 seconds in college football. Um, and it's something that I am privileged to be able to watch every home game. Um, and it sends chills up and down my spine every single time. It never gets old. It never, it never gets old, Ashley. So, since you've been Go there, ahead, you no, no. Since, 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 since you've been there, I, I, I must let you know that I am a Tar Heel, a proud Tar Heel. And while I was in school playing for the football team in North Carolina, we went to Clemson and we had a game. And I decided, with just a couple of my teammates, to uh, run to the bottom of the hill. Prior to the game, as the Tigers were beginning to rub on Howard's Rock, and I decided that, you know, today was the day that North Carolina was going to make a statement. So we wanted Clemson to run down the hill quickly to come and get this tail kicking that we had waiting for them. <laughs> so as a fan, how would that make you feel? Would you be in your feelings? Would you feel some kind of way if you saw a Tar Heel and full Tar Heel Blue regalia come and kind of wave them down and say, come on and get some of this? Well, because we are true Southerners um, and we are very kind to everybody that comes to Clemson, we will just show you how it is on the field. <laughs> and I can tell you that that, that afternoon, they, they certainly showed us how it was. <laughs> it didn't end well for the Tar Heels, Ashley. That's the, let's get to the point there. It didn't end well for the Tar Heels that day. <laughs> didn't, right. didn't end well. Didn't end well. All right. Well, last question, then I'll let you go. We appreciate you taking some time out of your very busy schedule. Uh, but let's fast Absolutely. forward, let's say, let's say 14 years from now, Christian Wilkins decides to hang up the cleats. He's had an unbelievable run. He's on his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Christian Wilkins wants to go be an educator, wants to be a teacher. And he asks you for a recommendation. What does that recommendation say? Absolutely. All day, every day, all in. And he can bring his uh, That's it. Power That's Rangers it. outfit. <laughs> <laughs> the the all, kids would love that, right? That's, that's teaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They would. Engaging for sure. Oh, there you go. That is phenomenal. So that is so great. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation, Ash. Thank you so much for taking some time uh, with us today and uh, hopefully catch up with you down the road. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Buck. It's not every day uh, we get a chance to visit with the uh, elementary school principal. I enjoy talking to uh, to a Miss Ashley Robertson there. Uh, what, what a great insight she offered there on Christian Wilkins. She did offer a terrific insight. And I 
think, you know, you know it when we've been in draft room, so much of what we do is not only assessing what a player is on the field, but how is he off the field and how is he going to blend into the locker room? I think the insight that she was able to give on Christian uh, coming in doing his student teaching and coming in and the seriousness that he displayed in his job, I think it makes you believe that he's going to be a solid professional when he gets an opportunity to join a, t- a pro team. And so I came away even more impressed with number 42 after listening to Ashley talk about it. Yeah, you can kind of see his energy on a football field. I can imagine he would need that energy to match an elementary school uh, classroom. I mean, think about uh, how unusual that is. What he's going to face. Yeah, how, <laughs> how, how unusual is that for a guy to do um, the stuff that uh, he has been able to do on the field, but yet still have the time to think about, one, what he wants to do in his academic pursuits, what he wants to do later in life, and then to fulfill that while also chasing national championships. Uh, pretty unique in my estimation. All right, let's go from a principal to a coach. I'm going to go to uh, Gary Doherty, the man we had a chance to visit with, Buck, who was uh, at Framingham High School in Massachusetts, where he had a chance to coach a young Christian Wilkins. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Real quick, just the first time you met uh, Christian Wilkins, and what was your impression? Well, I had heard about Christian Wilkins from uh, the youth football coaches in Framingham, and uh, uh, he had a... He had a definitive reputation of being the nicest kid off the field, but the meanest kid on the field. And uh, when I met him, he was the nicest kid. And then when I started coaching him, he was one of the meanest kids on the field. So he, he, he fit his reputation. You know, Coach, with a guy that is athletic as Christian, uh, what were some of the things that you did with him on offense and defense when you had a chance to coach him? Yeah, well, uh Several things on uh, on defense. He played he played interior tackle and defensive end, and he was excellent at, at both. Um, as a freshman, he was the first freshman that ever started for me at Framingham, and uh, um, he uh, he did equally as well on offense. Coach, what was uh, what was his other athletic background like? We see you know we see a guy like that that big and that athletic doing the splits and all the fun stuff he does on yeah. the side. I gotta imagine he played some other sports besides football. He did. He was a really, really good basketball player, really good rebounder. He could run the court. Um, he played defense very well. And, uh, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he, he was always – he's the same, uh, same kid. He's a playful, great athlete who, um, you know, he's going to – his skills are going to transition well to the NFL. He's, he's, he's going to be an excellent pro. You know, in thinking about that, you described him as being one of the nicest kids off the field, but a mean guy on the field. And he's going to be corralled by Wilkins and sacked. Talk about watching that transition where he flips the switch as he kind of steps between the lines. Well, it, it, one of my favorite uh, memories of Christian was uh, when we took him away to camp um, and I immediately tested him. The first time we could have contact, I put him up against a uh, – a two-year captain, kid who was going to play um, um, a lower Division One uh, football, but a really good player. And uh, they went one-on-one. And Christian, uh, honest to God, he made this kid cry. That's how that's how uh, good he was. <laughs> this kid literally started. My captain, two-year captain, started crying after trying to go against Christian. And then another one was was a good friend of mine was the coach of an opposing team. His nephew was an all-conference player on offense, and Christian beat him up so bad that that game 
uh, his uncle, who was the head coach, was screaming at him, uh, telling him he, <laughs> how embarrassed he was that he was getting beat by a freshman. So, you know, Christian <laughs> Christian's an exceptional player and a uh, great, great young man, and I'm looking forward to hit, seeing him play in the NFL. You know, Coach, you talked about Christian will be – he'll make an easy transition from college to the National Football League. Why do you believe he'll make such an easy and smooth transition to the league? Uh, he's driven. He's driven. Um, he's, uh, he's always had a great focus and love of football, and, um, and he's smart. He's a very smart kid. Coach, in your, in your coaching career, have you had anybody – that is anywhere near what this kid is and what this kid's going to be, or is this a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime player? Yeah, so I've been coaching uh, over 20 years, and uh, I can say absolutely not. He is the number one kid that I've coached, um, and it's not close. Um, I, have a, I do have a, um, uh, someone with NFL bloodlines that I'm coaching now that, that uh, I think is going to be a really, really uh, exceptional player. But Christian's number one, and he's number one by far. Well, Coach, I can't, I can't uh, thank you enough for taking some time with us here today. Uh, we do appreciate it, and uh, we're looking forward to watching Christian as this journey continues for him, uh, as I know you are as well. I am. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, Bucky. Appreciate it, guys. All right, Buck, uh, look, you get a chance to talk to somebody that's been around these players at a young age. Uh, tremendous insight offered there by Coach Doherty. Yeah, tremendous insight. Um, Big believer, you know, coming from my background, we would talk to high school teachers and coaches trying to get even more perspective. And so to have someone who was around Christian during those formative years continues to just kind of cement the case and that he is a, not only a top pick, but he's a great A, A-plus person. And so love the insight that he was able to share about Christian. Yeah, it sounded like he uh, didn't take long for him to stand out amongst his peers there uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, what a, uh, a phenomenal high school player and something that uh, carried over quite easily uh, to the next level. What do we got next here, Buck? Hey, look, DJ, the, the thing that we talked about with the Clemson Tigers is not just one guy. You talk about four guys that we can talk about. So the next one, we're going to talk about All-American defensive tackle. We were able to catch up with his mom, Julia Parker. That is the mother of All-American Dexter Lawrence. Uh, can, can you tell us about some of the stories about him growing up? Uh, what, what sports was, was Dexter into, and, uh, and how was he as an athlete as a young kid? Well, at first he was into baseball, and then he started liking basketball. Um, and then his father actually got him into football, and they won the little mini championship for, like, boys and girls club or something like that and so then he started liking I mean football but his passion was basketball you think that that passion and and that time he spent on the basketball court I gotta believe for somebody as big and as strong as he is uh the athleticism and his quickness I'd imagine you saw that displayed on the basketball court at a young age oh yes Pretty uh, a pretty special a pretty special player there. Now my partner here on our podcast, uh, Bucky Brooks, his father had a chance to coach Dexter. He was his coach in high school. Now can you can you share with us any good stories between Dexter and his coach that I can share with my co-host Bucky? <laughs> so he loves Coach Brooks. He he always come home and tell me I like Coach Brooks. 
<laughs> well, well, I, you know, his son, I think dad's a little bit more likable than the son. You know, the son can be, you know, you never know what you're going to get with him. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. We let, we, we love Bucky here. Uh, I, I want to go into the decision to go to Clemson because I understand things did not go that great when you, when you all went for your visit there to Clemson. Tell us that story. So we went there. It was his junior year, I want to say. And when we went, we went to the Florida State game. They were playing against Florida State Clemson. And then after the game, we got into a bad accident. We got, it was like a three-car accident. Somebody hit us, then we ended up hitting somebody else. Wow. And so the car was totally lost. And we drove home in a total lost car because we were just so upset. We were going to spend a night. But I but it was like, oh no. My husband at the time, fiance, was like, oh, we going home. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be thinking there, maybe this isn't the place to be then. This did not end up well at the end of right. that visit. That's what I was telling this. I said, oh no, you're not coming here. <laughs> what but changed? Coach, what changed? But Coach Caldwell called us back that summer when he was about to become a senior. Mm-hmm. And was like, oh, no, we got to have y'all back here. We got to show y'all what Clemson is all about. <laughs> well, what happened? So they that- us up there. I mean, well, we, you know, we drove up there. Mm-hmm. And so when we got there, I was like, okay. <laughs> Something totally different. Can you imagine it being a, a, a better experience with all the winning and the production uh, and literally the fun it looked like that group had uh, during his run there at Clemson? I can't imagine it could have gone much better. Yes, I am so happy that he chose Clinton, not just because of the winning, just because of the overall environment. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited for this next chapter for your son because all the background work that I've done on him, I've got nothing but positives about him as a as a worker as a leader and as just as a a quality young man and he is a dynamic football player who's going to hear his name called in the first round of the upcoming draft. And I cannot wait to see where he lands and follow his career. And I know that there will be uh, uh, maybe one person more excited than Dexter on draft night, and that is you. And you deserve it. You've done a great job raising that young man, and we thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Yes, thank you. I get a chance to talk with his mom is one thing. That's always special. I'll tell you what else is great. When you get a chance to talk to the high school coach, of these players, but let's take that to the next level because not only are we going to talk to the high school coach for Dexter Lawrence, it's a man Bucky knows he knows a little bit. He knows <laughs> pretty well, considering it's his father, Blake Brooks. All right, DJ, is is it's not often that I get a chance to call the house to talk about a prospect that we're going to talk about on the 360 series. However, my dad, Blake Brooks, uh, D-line coach at Wake Forest High School, had an opportunity to coach Dexter Lawrence. So we're going to bring him in. And, Pops, look, this is your debut. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about Dex. And I want to go all the way back to the first time that you saw Dexter walk through the halls of the school. What did you think about when you met Dexter? Well, the first time I saw Dexter really was uh, parent night in the uh, main gym where we invite all the parents in with their kids to uh, sell our program, to promote our football program. And uh, when Dexter walked into the door, I said, excuse me if I offend anybody, (laughs) 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> <When I> saw, <laughs> and he was a ninth grader. Wow. <laughs> he was the biggest 14-year-old I have ever seen. That's how I reacted. And I might have embarrassed Straight to prick. I ran over to him to make sure that the offensive line coach didn't see him first. That's my reaction. <laughs> He went straight to praise music. Coach, you went straight to praise music when you saw Dexter. That's fantastic. It is. Um, and Dexter was a blessing to our program, really. Hey, 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 hey Dad, um, so you told me a lot about Dexter um, being 14, but he wasn't really a football-only guy. You talked about having to lure him away from basketball. What kind of athlete was Dexter – uh, as a young player? Um, you know, Dexter had a lot of ability, a lot of agility, and his footwork was fantastic. The thing that basketball helped him more than anything else with his footwork. But he was a fantastic basketball player. And there was a tug between playing football with us and playing AAU basketball. One time he got bored with because we had him on the JV at first because we just wanted him to, you know, wet his beak. And he quit. Well, he stayed home a couple of times because he thought football was boring. So immediately Reggie and I went and got him and we brought him up to varsity because he was so dominant that no one could block him on JV. And we found out he was so dominant they couldn't block him on varsity. True story. Coach, was he there at the same time as Bryce Love? Were they were they teammates? Uh, yeah, Bryce Love. Don't, did you have Bryce. to tell Dexter, hey, don't don't hurt Bryce? Did you have to tell him at some point in time, hey, we need Bryce, we need Bryce to be healthy, Dexter, in practice. You got to take it easy on Bryce. Well, what we did, we uh, we emphasized the Dexter, not the touch, Bryce, or the quarterback. <laughs> so we didn't allow him to tackle. Uh, Anybody on offense, really. He was that good Smart. at that dog. Okay, so, so, so Dad, there, there's been a lot of fascination about what Dex could be at the next level. Um, Clemson used him as a nose tackle primarily. Uh, do you think he is just a nose tackle, or do you think he has the ability to do more than just be a guy that plays right over top of the center? Um, he has ability to play anywhere on the defensive line. Um, mostly we lined him up at three tech, three technique, and then we would move him around depending on the blocking schemes of the offense. We were playing against our opponents. Dexter can play anywhere on the, on the defensive line. We even lined him up on the offensive line a couple of times during, during playoff game, just to, uh, a change of pace to play big boy football, power football. Coach, I would imagine you had a parade of college coaches uh, rolling through there during, during recruiting. Uh, what was it like during that process? Uh, I, I would imagine just constantly you must have had head coaches rolling through your school. Um, it, was, it was different because we never had a player of that caliber. So he was special. And uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, head coaches came through, and he just kept – a lot of things on the down low so that it wouldn't be 
he wouldn't get distracted. And, and we helped him through that process. But yes, when they found out about him, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he's proved, proven everything that uh, they saw in him. In fact, uh, Clemson kind of just wanted him at the end to be a nose tackle. And, but Dexter really hasn't shown all his ability, in my opinion. Because when he lines up at three technique, he is a terror. He wants to be great. He wants to be dominant. And he is. He dominated every opponent that we played, even though we lost a championship game with him. Dominant performances. And he made everybody around him better. You know, Dad, in thinking about uh, some of the adversity or any adversity, has there been anything that you can think of where you've seen Dexter have to overcome an obstacle or adversity that will make him better prepared to play and be successful in the pros? Well, I hadn't been around him much since he's been at Clemson. But um, I would think the only adversity that I've seen that we know about is uh, when he got hurt at Clemson. And it took a while for him to get back because that's the first time he ever been hurt before. But he did overcome it. And that, that shows uh, how hard he worked, how hard he believes in his ability. So, uh, and at, at one point, we used to talk all the time about personal things. And Dexter wanted to be, and uh, wanted to be an FBI agent. So I told him that man, you'd be the biggest FBI agent <laughs> I've ever seen. But <laughs> <laughs> he was just—he was a joy. He was a joy to be around. Coach, last question from me. Um, what do we have to do to get a Wake Forest High School, Granada Hills High School, <laughs> never cross-country game, <laughs> father versus son, Brooks versus Brooks? Maybe you guys can meet in Texas and we can play that game there. we got to make this happen, Coach. Um, DJ, I have been married 49 years. <laughs> I will not play my son against my son. <laughs> and be able to come in this house with my wife. That won't happen. If anything, I'll move, over, I'll move over to Granada and, and coach for him. <laughs> he will be my Okay, boss. now we're talking. Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll take that. I'll take that. Hey, hey Pops, thanks for... um. Thanks for coming on uh, the Mood Sticks podcast. Your insight on Dexter is great. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> One thing that I do know is, man, my dad adores Dexter, and Dexter has really left <laughs> a strong impression on him, not only in terms of, like, the kind of players that he coaches and the standard that he set on the field, but just how he was uh, in the classroom and with others in the community. And so when we think about Dexter and his impact – Man, how about Cleveland Farrell and the impact that he has made? And so we want to kind of check in with a couple people that know him really well. We're going to talk to his older brother, Sigmund Farrell, and his high school coach, Greg Lilly. Well, Sigmund, first question from me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family, uh, the, the number of siblings there for your brother, and, and what it was like growing up in your household? Well, uh, actual number of siblings is in total is nine. Cleveland is the youngest of all of them, and uh, he's the youngest son. And uh, growing up in our household, uh, it was pretty much um, 
our family was pretty much uh, my dad was military i was military my brother byron was military my brother clevester he's uh uh, a, a Richmond police officer. So, and his mom is military. So, we had the military burn growing up, and uh, had a lot of respect for the military. So that's pretty much uh, kind of uh, shows Cleveland's affection for the military. He went to Benedictine, which is a military prep school as well. So, uh, we kind of grew up having respect for the military, and and just a tight family. Uh, my dad always. Uh, believe in looking out for each other and, and being tight and look, and taking care of family. I, I want to go back to his uh, beginning there as an athlete because I understand his uh, his early athleticism was displayed not on a football field but a, but a soccer field, if that's right. For sure. Uh, a lot of people don't know about Cleveland. His actual first team sport was soccer. And uh, his, me and his brothers, we played basketball, ran track and tennis, played tennis. But uh, my dad wanted him to have his own identity, do something different, and it was soccer. And he was a great soccer player at that young age. But uh, it got to the point where me and my brothers wanted him to play football. I had sons that played football, so we wanted to get him on the football field and do something different. My, uh, his mom and my dad were reluctant at first, worried about him getting hurt, you know, uh, and we kind of urged them and kept pressuring them and they finally relented to give him an opportunity and once he got out there uh he his first game i actually remember and uh, he was getting double teamed pushed to the ground and his spirit was a little broken and he had tears in his eyes and i remember my father and my brother byron and i pulled him to the sideline and we told him asked him what's going on why you have tears in your eyes and he said keep pushing me to the ground they double teaming me and we told them, nobody double team you because they see that you're a threat. You're great. Mm-hmm. So use that to your advantage. Just because people are bigger don't mean they're stronger. And he went back out on that field, and he dominated the rest of that game. And that's when I knew. I said, my brother, right there, he, he has the heart. And that's what it took. So I knew from that point on, from college to high school, uh, he was getting double teamed because his talent level and people feared him. And and he realized that it wasn't the fact that he couldn't make every play, but giving the opportunities for other people to make plays. What was it like? Uh, have you got a chance to be around him and the team, or you know, during his his college career? Did you notice? Did you pick up on the bond between this group of defensive linemen? We see all these guys entering the NFL at one time here. It's a pretty unique story. Well, you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't anything shocking to me. That's how we were raised. Uh, as brothers, we were tight knit. We look out for each other. And to see him transcend that upon his teammates and stuff, I wasn't shocked at all. He loved those guys. Uh, like like he said, they'll be at his wedding. He'll be at their wedding. And I think and I would give props to Dabo, he, the culture he brought as far as family. And them guys, they play for each other. Out of the pistol now, Ian Buck, look out, and he gets buried by Cleland Furl. Well, he's uh, he is such a fun player to watch. If you were going to describe him, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, you know, we're, we uh, have a scouting background here, so I'm going to ask you as as big brother here to put your scouting hat on a little bit and tell okay. me what what's what's going to make him him great at the next level. He's dominant at the college level. What's gonna what's going to carry him forward and make him great at the NFL level? Um, his mentality, his 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 attitude. Uh, he's very humble, and he realizes at each level you start over, and we. Being at Benedictine, I mean, he was great, but he had to earn that. And then getting to Clemson, he he had to earn that. So nothing is given to him. He always earned everything he had. He works hard, um, and he plays for his team. 
and he wants to learn. And he doesn't want to let anybody down. So he's eager to get out there. I tell people he's very humble. He comes to my home. He'll sit here, and you wouldn't think he even played football. But when he puts that uniform on, he turns into a totally different person. He turns into a beast. And that's just the type of person he is. He cares for everybody. And I think that that's what he's going to transcend on that locker room. I cannot wait to uh, to watch him compete at the next level. One of my favorite players to watch in this draft class. And you learn a little bit more about these players. You find out where they've, uh, how they've gotten to where they are. It sounds like you have just an amazing family. Thank your entire family for their service, by the way. It's, uh, it's an honor to speak with you. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. All right, Buck, excited to be joined by Greg Lilly, who's the head coach at Benedictine Prep uh, there in Richmond, Virginia. Had a chance to coach uh, one of the talented members of this Clemson defensive line. Coach, first of all, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. And, and first question from me, uh, tell me the first time you, uh, you got to, to see Cleveland Farrell and what your impression was. I met Cleveland when he was an eighth grader. Um, he was at a... a a middle school, and uh, he was coming in to interview to uh, through the admissions process to hopefully be accepted to Benedictine. And uh, quite honestly, I remember meeting his mom more than I remember meeting Cleveland because his mom's a very impressive lady, and, uh, um, and I, she she was the one that brought him in. And uh, she was a you know former staff NCO in the in the army, so we had a connection through our military service. But uh, you know, Cleveland was just a tall, gangly, awkward kind of dorky kid as an eighth grader. You know, so, Coach, in thinking about him being tall and gangly as an eighth grader, uh, describe the first time that you had a chance to watch him move around, being in football or doing another sport. We had a chance to watch him move around a little bit uh, when he was playing basketball as an eighth grader, but then also as he got into the weight room with us that summer. And with his length, you did kind of say, man, this kid's got a lot of potential. Uh, but quite honestly, there was other kids in that class that were coming in that we probably thought were going to be a little better football players. Uh, and, you know, it shows you what we knew back then. So, Coach, for those that don't know, you mentioned you touched on your military background. Um, Cleveland comes from a very uh, heavy military family. Um, but Benedictine as a school, it's not just a traditional high school. Can you kind of explain the, uh, the environment there? We're an all-boys uh, Catholic military day school, so we're you know, one of two or three in the country that are sort of set up this way, uh, and it is a very unique format. Um, you know, the fact that we're all boys, it allows these guys to be able to come in here, be themselves, um, kind of develop a personality, uh, not be afraid to, to sort of dream big, and you'll see Cleveland write that sometimes on his, uh, uh, his armband when he was playing at Clemson, and uh, we give guys the opportunity to come in here and, and not be afraid to fail because the social setting is, is really pretty easy. It's about 250, you know, 14 to 18 year old guys uh, that become like brothers. And uh, you know, us as a military school, honestly, it, it gives us a, it gives us a little bit of routine, a little bit of structure. But um, you know, I was in the Marines. We're not special forces here. Uh, it just gives us an, an added sense of discipline throughout the day and, um, and routine. And I think the guys like that structure. More than anything else, it creates a little camaraderie. And I think that's the thing that probably uh, Cleveland remembers the most about this place is the brotherhood. I think what you know, Mr. and Mrs. Farrell were looking for was probably a little bit of that structure and routine and felt like Cleveland probably needed that uh, throughout his high school years. Coach, and thinking about that discipline and structure, uh, because you've been around Cleveland for so long, how is he intrinsically motivated? How does he keep himself 
uh, focused on dreaming bigger, uh, having higher aspirations without others kind of fueling those dreams and aspirations? I think he comes from a great family. I think he comes from a family that um, it's just natural for them to serve their community, to serve the country, uh, to serve God. Uh, I remember visiting Cleveland and Clemson a year or two ago, and, and his goal on their team list was to serve. I mean, that was the only two words he wrote down was to serve. And, and I think he learned that from his parents. I, I hope we were an extension of that during his high school years. And I know the coaches, the community, the players, his fellow defensive linemen at Clemson, I, I know those guys uh, have been a great impact on him and, and have you know, continued that, that philosophy of, of helping others. And I think that's been a big thing, um, you know, just been put into him by his family and instilled in him and his fam- by his family. Coach, we saw him at the collegiate level on the biggest stages and the, and the lights were the brightest. He was at his best. And you go back and look at uh, the Alabama game last year, playing for a national championship against an elite opponent, and he took his game even higher to a new level. Is there an example of him uh, at the high school level, maybe against uh, one of your better opponents, a rivalry, or, or a moment where you saw him kind of embrace that spotlight and the challenge? His first game as a sophomore, he ended up um, – we had played him on the JV as a freshman. That tells you how smart we are. And uh, we played him in one game. His first game as a sophomore, he has three sacks and probably five tackles for a loss. So we sat there and said, I, you know, I think we got somebody pretty special here. Um, his junior year, uh, you know, we were, we were playing in a good conference. And there was a couple teams that we played, um, you know, that had some guys that were, that were D1 guys. And uh, he really stepped up in those games, games against Fort Union, games against Liberty Christian. Uh, games against Woodbury Forest, and uh, um, it was you know it was good to see that. But the thing with him, I mean, I think more than anything is his day to day to approach to things, his willingness to get better, his willingness to be coached. Um, I, I think that's what's kind of set him apart from uh, a lot of our guys, uh, you know, our, our players here. But I also think guys in college. I mean, he wasn't the quote unquote five star guy coming out. I mean, he was a high highly rated recruit, but he wasn't a top 10 guy. And uh, uh, and I don't think he's been one of those guys that's put a chip on the shoulder. I just think he gets up every day and wants to go to work. You know, Coach, in thinking about guys that, that want to go to work, he's had to overcome a little adversity in his life. Can you talk about some of the obstacles he's had to overcome to make his way to being on the verge of being a top NFL draft pick? Well, he, he blew his knee out going into his senior year. Um, the um, – uh, we had played him. We had played him one scrimmage, and quite honestly, had probably taken him out about 20 plays into it because we couldn't get a look at anybody else on the defense because he was making every tackle. So uh, we get him into the second scrimmage, and again, guys can't get, even get their hands on him. But he's chasing a quarterback down and doesn't get hit, and just you know pops his knee and blows his knee out, and uh, so he tore his ACL. And I'll never forget it. He was sitting in this office with me and with uh, Coach York, and. We told him that, you know, you had torn your ACL, you're going to be out your senior year. And this is when you could kind of tell he was growing up a little bit and you could see his unselfishness. He started crying. And my response to him, of course, was, Cleveland, you're going to be fine. Clemson still wants you. You've got a great future ahead of you. This gives you a year to get bigger, stronger, faster. And, you know, he said, actually got emotional and got upset with me and said, Coach, I don't care about any of that. I just wanted to play with my classmates. I wanted to play with my teammates. I wanted to win a, a state championship in my senior year for my school. And and that's when it was kind of like, God, this you know this guy really gets it. This guy understands 
football. This guy understands the meaning of being a teammate and, and being unselfish and committing to others. And uh, and I would tell you know, and then that was just an injury. Um, the biggest adversity that Cleveland had to deal with was, I mean, his father died when he was in ninth grade here at Benedictine, and um, I'll never forget it. His father came in with uh, with two of his brothers and. Uh, uh, came in, sat down with myself and one of our military instructors and said, you know, I'm, I am, I've gotten cancer again. This is the second time I've gotten it. Uh, I may not be around here for long. And, um, you know, when I go, I just need you to make sure that you push my son as much as, as you possibly can, that he's got a chance to be great. Um, and we just want him to work as hard as he possibly can to achieve, you know, all of his potential. And I don't think his dad was talking about the NFL or the NBA, I just think he wanted him to be a great man. And, um, um, you know, that was, uh, I, that, I can't remember, and I've been doing this for 15 years. I think that's the only time that's happened. And um, uh, it was um, a little bit, you know, humbling, obviously, uh, that we were in that position uh, to hopefully mold this, this young man uh, and form this young man. Um, and it was also something I, I very much looked forward to. But the nice thing is we're in a place here to where, you know, when we go to the dad's funeral about eight, eight, uh, eight weeks later, two months later, you know, his whole JV, all of his teammates were there. And, uh, uh, and you could tell Cleveland was sad, but you know, I'll never forget the smile on his face at his father's funeral when he saw Ramon Jones and Malik Hamilton and all of his teammates um, and his classmates from school. And, and that's when you just knew he was a good kid. He was a kid who, you know, who trusted his friends, who trusted his classmates. And, and loved being a part of this school, loved being a part of a team, uh, and loved being a part of a, you know, a family, and, and, uh, uh, and was willing to take their support and their love and, and work through that process. Well, Coach, you have, uh, you've given us some uh, great insight here uh, on your former player. And uh, last question from me, and then I'll let you run. Uh, again, thank you for your time. But when you, when you learn everything we've learned about uh, Cleland, um, from, from family members, from coaches, uh, from teammates at Clemson, from coaches at Clemson. I don't know, Coach. I, I, we've been doing this, Bucky and myself, been scouting for a long time, um, scouting in the NFL. And, and when you start painting a picture of a person like this, not just a player, but the person, I just find it hard to believe that, that Cleveland's going to be anything but, I mean, anything other than successful. I mean, he is, I don't want I hate the word can't miss. It, it's, 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 uh, it's always bad, bad luck to say that. But in your opinion, I mean, does this kid carry any risk at all? Because I sure don't see it. Yeah, from a character standpoint, you guys can do the evaluation, and, and, and all those pro scouts and pro, pro coaches do the evaluation on whether these guys are good enough to play. I, I know this. Um, he's a guy I want to be around all the time. Uh, his family are people I want to be around all the time. He's a high-character guy. Um, if, you know, if – if I'm, you know, f figuring out a group of guys that I want to be around, that I want to accomplish a mission with, uh, Cleveland's one of the first guys I want on my team. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know if that means he's he's good enough to have, a, you know, to be an All-Pro or if that's good enough to, you know, to have a long-term career in the NFL. Uh, but I know he'll be successful in whatever he does um, because he's just a high-character young man. You know, Coach, where he certainly learned a lot about character working under your tutelage. Uh, thanks so much for joining the Mood of Sticks podcast. We really appreciate your contributions to the podcast. I thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Buck, it's, uh, it continues to check all the boxes for me on Farrell. I mean, when you talk to people that know him at the school, and now you get a chance to dig a little bit deeper into his background, 
Um, you can tell. Military background, it shows too. I mean, everything that you see and hear about him, tough, disciplined, reliable, dependable, all those words continually come up. And when you get a chance to dig into his background, it starts to all make sense. It does make sense. Um, I mean, you're talking about with each of these guys, I think the thing that stands out, you're talking about great A people, guys who are terrific people, great in the community, great with the people that really have impacted them. They left positive impressions. And then when you see the tape, it's easy to fall in love with them. Farrell is a guy that is easy to root for. Um, I love all the positivity about his story, and I think he's going to continue to do great things when he gets into the league. All right, one of the people we're really looking forward to, to chatting with as we're doing this 360 series, focusing on these Clemson uh, defensive linemen. I don't know if there's a better one to talk to than Tom Luganville, who is uh, uh, ESPN recruiting lead analyst there. He's also uh, doing these college football games each and every week at ESPN. He's been doing it a long time. He's a very sharp football mind. Uh, played the quarterback position, son of a coach. I mean, he's, he's as sharp as it gets. And who would better know these kids from Clemson? Not only what they did at the collegiate level, but circling all the, all the way back to their high school days. All right, Tom, first of all, I want to uh, focus on these, these Clemson kids, these defensive linemen, and go back to, to high school. I know, uh, obviously, Dexter Lawrence following recruiting loosely. I mean, I, even I was yeah. aware of, of who he was and how highly coveted he was. What was he like as a high school player? Well, I would make the argument in that particular class, which you know featured Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver, featured Christian Wilkins, uh, a slew of defensive linemen, you could make an argument that he was the most talented of them, pound for pound, but he didn't play that way each and every play. His production was down because he didn't have the motor of an Ed Oliver or a Nick Bosa. But when he turned it on, he was as good as anybody in the class. And I, you know, I've watched him evolve now uh, at Clemson, and I think he's an undervalued pass rusher or pocket collapser, if yeah. you will, because of their substitution and what they did, they'd pull him off the field on obvious passing down. So you didn't really see what he's capable of as a pass rusher. And I think it's much more that he gets credit for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, early, what, his freshman year, I think it's seven sacks. And then they kind of went to that yeah. race car package and, and he's out when they're in sub. But I even as a pocket pusher, uh, I mean, look, you, you've been around football a long time. When you've got edge rushers, it's nice when you can take away that escape hatch when you've got somebody that can push yeah. the pocket in the middle. Yeah, you know, he's built like a two-gapper, but he runs like a one-gapper. He's got that initial first-step burst that you see out of guys that are dramatically smaller than he is. So, you know, you kind of look at him and say, well, could he play at the one? Yeah, he could because he can anchor at the point of attack. Can he play at the three technique? Yeah, he's probably quick enough to do it. I think, again, it's, it's about developing that consistent motor so you get the consistent production play in and play out with Dexter. How about uh, his teammate there in uh, Christian Wilkins from uh, coming out of the Northeast, if I'm correct there? What was, his, what was the hype yeah. on him and the buzz on him as a prospect, as a high schooler? So, you know, well, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but we put together the Under Armour All-American yeah, game yeah, and, and, and compile the rosters. And so the level of high school football, you know, naturally is not going to be what it is in the state of Georgia or Texas or, or California or, or Florida. And so we place a lot of stock on, number one, does he dominate the competition he was playing in? That answer was an unequivocal yes. Then when we got him involved in the Under Armour All-America game and you see him throughout the week, which you glean so much more than just the game, it's just like the senior bowl for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. He was a dominant force at two positions, on the edge and then, of course, at defensive tackle. And if you, if you fast forward to his freshman year, 
and he kind of played on the inside. He played in the kicking game, and he was a productive contributor in a lot of areas. But when they had some injuries and they had to move some guys around, his sophomore year played almost exclusively in the defensive end spot. So I think his his versatility, uh, his passion for the game, this is one of those guys, DJ, that loves the game of football. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think you can ever undervalue that. And, it, and I think it shows in his play. He's somebody that – and just talking to buddies that had gone in there on school visits and talking to people that I know around that program – I mean, football character is the term that just keeps coming back to me. They said it is off, oh, yeah. it is off the charts with this kid. Always a smile on his face. Loves the game. Loves the weight room. Uh, rallies the troops. I mean, he checks all of the boxes that you can't coach. And I think that maybe what he lacks in, you know, Ed Oliver type athleticism, he's going to make up for in some of those areas that are not only going to make your team better, but they're going to make your locker room special. Absolutely. Well, from one kid who's highly thought of in, in that department to another one, Cleveland Farrell is another one who, you know, just get glowing reports about him, uh, not only as a, as a player, you can see that, but but as a kid. Yeah. But how about him in high school? I don't, I don't remember what his uh, what his situation was. I know he was hurt. I think he tore his ACL his senior year. So was he, was he really he on did. the radar for everybody? He was throughout the entire process. In fact, he didn't get to play in the Under Armour All-American game because he tore his ACL. Um, he was one of those kids that you loved because you saw a high ceiling for development. He wasn't a big, bulky kid. He had length. He was tall. You looked at him and you said, oh, man, we can get this kid in the weight room, and then we can get him developed, and we can bring him along at a reasonable pace. And that's exactly what they did. Now, in my opinion, there's one thing that he's probably always lacked, and that's elite flexibility and bend. Yeah, yeah. But he compensates with fantastic production. He uses his hands. He's got better functional strength than people think that he does. And I think he's got an array of moves where he can counter. So there's there's a lot of football acumen and nuance to him, in my opinion, because he's just a good football player. You know, sometimes you, you're trying to put your finger on what it is that makes a guy special. Sometimes you just back away and say, this guy's just a good player. He just makes plays. And when the lights were bright, look, just look at what he did against Alabama and the two cracks he got oh, yeah. him and Jonah Williams. Now, the kind of the forgotten man in this Clemson front is Austin Bryant, who is a really yeah. good football player. Unfortunately, he just gets overshadowed by the rest of the group there. He does. I, I kind of liken it to Albert Huggins. You know, all yeah. of the hullabaloo about Dexter Lawrence not being able to play in the college football playoff. Did anybody notice? I mean, it, they, they the were okay. The day, they did just fine. They were fine. Yeah. yeah you know, it. It's just, I think that's what makes this Clemson group so good is you can have a great player get overshadowed for two reasons. Number one, other great players around him, but because of those great players, maybe he doesn't get the number of snaps that he would have gotten had he gone maybe somewhere else in the conference or another program outside of the conference. Yeah, Buck, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to Tom. He, uh, he's dialed in on these kids. He's dialed in on a very young age. I'm sure your, cro- your paths cross uh, with Tom all the time doing all the work you do on the high school level. Yeah, Tom was always at the events. He was always at the opening finals. Uh, so he does know these guys. He knows them well. He is uh, a top recruiting analyst, and his perspective and insight really helps us have even greater perspective on what these guys were, where they came from, where they're going, and how they could impact the league as pros. But look, the guy who has had maybe the biggest impact on these four players has been their head coach, Dabo Swinney. Let's listen to his words. You know, Coach, everyone is really excited about your defensive line. So many guys that have the opportunity to go from Christian Wilkins to Dexter Lawrence and others. Uh, What makes that group so special? Their commitment, 
I mean, they're not, they're talented, but their commitment and work ethic. You know, you take great talent plus great work ethic and character, you get a superstar. And uh, that's what they are. I mean, they're just special human beings that just happen to be great football players. They work at it. I mean, they're, they, they technically, uh, you know, grind. They mentally grind. They physically grind. And, and the good Lord gave them a, a ton of talent to go with it. I'm glad you got a chance to, to catch up with Coach Sweeney, Buck. He's, uh, man, he is, he's quickly emerged on the Mount Rushmore of, of college head coaches here over the last several years. It, 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 nothing uh, short of what Alabama's done. I would say that nobody's doing uh, what Clemson has been able to do, and they've been able to dethrone uh, the Crimson Tide on two occasions. So it's a, it's a special group uh, that he has built there, a special program, and it's great to get his insight on these kids. Yeah, it is great to get his insight on the kids. I mean, to a man, the, these kids have, have really been positive and complimentary of Dabo and his impact on them. And so uh, Dabo deserves all the kudos that he gets for not only building a great A program, but really making sure that you develop players the right way. No doubt. Well, it's great to hear from the coach. We've heard from a lot of people in the past that, that know these kids well. Let's hear from these players themselves. Let's start here with the defensive ends. Let's hear from Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant. Well, you guys are part of a powerhouse now. I guess Clemson is the powerhouse in college football based on the success that you guys had during your careers. Cleveland, talk a little bit about the Clemson experience. I feel like Clemson is where, is where a, a, a college recruit needs to be, not where they so much want to be. You know, you're going to have a great time, but if you want to go somewhere where your growth is going to be the biggest thing and you want to grow as a player, man, and be challenged and held accountable um, and also have a chance to win championships like everybody wants to do, I feel like Clemson is top from top to bottom the best school for it, man, for real. Austin, why is Clemson such a special place right now? Uh, yeah, just echoing a lot of what Cleveland said, man. I went to Clemson and, and definitely became a man. Uh, I grew more so off the field than I did on the field. Uh, Clemson is definitely a place for kids that, you know, have the right traits to be a great human being, to be a great person in life. And to be honest, Clemson nurtures that and makes it even better. So the person that I was when I first walked on campus and the person that I was when I walked out, uh, two totally different people, more mature and just became a, a complete man. You know, one of the things that Clemson has always been able to attract has been defensive linemen. There's a long story tradition of guys that play up front, not only having success in college, but going on to the league. Um, what is it about the tradition and upholding that standard that has been created by the, your predecessors? Oh, man, you know, I feel like it goes back to when uh, me and him were freshmen and Shaq and Kevin Dye were, you know, the two, the two guys that was up next and they had a great season. And it's like, you know, when you're the next person or the next group of guys that's supposed to step in and uphold that legacy and uphold that standard that we have um, at Clemson, it's like it only takes your work ethic, your mindset, and you, it really excites you that you get your opportunity to do, that, do those things. So it's a blessing to go to a school where you come from a great, you know, football DNA and D-line DNA, but you really have to push, put the work in to really become the player that you want to be and uphold your own legacy. Austin, why is it that the D-line continues to be so dominant? D-line is a great position at Clemson, and it's definitely a position that, like Cleveland said, has been greats there. Uh, have the, they have done everything that we want to do in the future. Um, and I think for us when we were young guys, like you said, we seen Shaq, we seen Kevin Dodd do it. So for us, we didn't want to let anybody down. So uh, that really just fueled how hard we work and the determination we had to be great as a whole. And it eventually grew into a leadership role and bringing the young guys along too. So I think that's what makes it so special is that the older guys, that it's their time, they pull the younger guys along. So when it's finally their time, you know, that cycle just keeps going. 
I mean, obviously you guys, we can talk about the guys before you, but at the current moment, like you guys had four guys that are going to have an opportunity to play in the National Football League, Cleveland. What was the competition like in that defensive line room? Oh, man, it only made us better. But I feel like the best thing about it and, and things that a lot of people don't really take value in is that um, we were close before we stepped on the field together. Um, so that was something that really, really made us better. When you when we wanted for each other, we wanted for ourselves, man. We could push each other to limits that I couldn't really explain to you. You know what I mean? So it was a blessing to play with these guys. Like you said, we had to fight for plays out there because I got him and Christian and Dex really out there balling, doing their thing, so I'm trying to fight for, you know, just to have my own type of impact on the game. So it was huge, man. And to come from a great tradition, I'm happy that we kind of set our own legacy, and I feel like we're the best group to ever do it at Clemson or in the history of college football, so it was a blessing. Yeah, definitely, man. And I feel like what sets us apart is we're just as great people as we are players, and I think that's a combination that you don't find very often at whatever program you go to uh, all along the defensive line, and to correct you, we got five D linemen that's about to get drafted. So uh, Albert Huggins too. Um, but that's just a testament to the people that Coach Sweeney brings into the program. That really just keeps the cycle going. Um, great athletes as well. You know, it, Coach Sweeney. You know, like people really talk about like coaching and kind of making his way to the top. But what I hear from you guys is how he's really a nice leader of men and how he really nurtures the program. Cleveland, talk about Coach Sweeney. Man, I love I love the culture that he brought to Clemson, man. It's like you said, he's a leader of men. So his whole program is player led. So he puts it in our hands to 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 take the program as far as we want to go. Not many coaches do that. Many coaches want to, you know, be in, on top of every single thing and force the players to to be great. But he really just challenges us to do those things on our own. And that's what I feel like made us grow so well, just as far as people, men, and players, man, because he really puts it in the players' hands. Like, we had this thing called the Sweeney Council where he asks us for our opinions, not just about how we're playing, but about how the program is being ran, how's the food, how's the, the treatment going, how how are the coaches treating us, different things like that. And that's something where he values our opinion, you know, as men and spiritually as well. He, he opens that door for us to grow there as well. So. It's a blessing to have a man like that, you know, represent our school for sure. Austin, what impact has Dabo had on you? I think the biggest thing that Coach Sweeney uh, figured out is that, you know, that the most important resource in college football is the people that make it happen, and that's the players. Like Cleveland said, we're a player-driven program, uh, so he gives us as much opinion, you know, as we can give um, to make the program better and to make it better for those coming behind us. And uh, like I said, bring, bringing in the right people in the program that's going to permeate the correct culture that you need to not only just be a, a powerhouse football team, but to also have that family environment where players want to come there. They sense something different whenever they're in Clemson rather than any other school in the country. Well, man, we're excited to continue to see you guys take the next step on your football journey. Excited to hear all your names on draft night. Excited to see what you guys are able to do as NFL players and beyond. Thanks so much for joining the Move the Sticks podcast. Thank you all so right. much. Thank Appreciate you so you. much. All right, Buck, well, we've heard outside, right? We got a chance to listen to your conversations with the defensive ends in this Clemson front. Uh, let's move inside. You had a chance at the NFL scouting combine to catch up with Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. And here are those conversations. You guys are coming from a very successful program, having been to a couple of national titles, one, claimed claim some trophies. Christian, how has that experience at Clemson prepared you to have success at the next level? Well, I feel like, you know, well, just first and foremost, just, you know, the way 
uh, Clemson helped groom us as men first and foremost and just as people. Uh, I feel like that's the most important thing definitely. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it was, you know, the program, the coaches and guys and everybody involved and the people just around the facility, but it was the players really. I feel like we challenge each other a lot off the field just to be the best uh, people we can be first and then the best athletes as well. And I just feel like all the lessons I learned just, you know, going against the best every day in practice, you know, I feel like, you know, my, like anything I ever saw in the game in college was never better than what I saw in practice. So right. I definitely feel like I'm prepared uh, on the football side of things. Uh, you know, decided just decided to see where I end up and just, you know, to have this process will play out. And I think I'm definitely ready for the next level. Dexter, how about you? I mean, just to pick about what he said, I mean, going to Clemson, I mean, that's, that's the kind of things you expect to happen, you know, to grow as a man, as a football player, and, you know, just having that kind of support around you just to help you, you know, to guide you. You know, They're not holding your hand, but, you know, they just giving you advice here and there, you know, showing examples of what not to do or, like, you know, Sweeney thing was like, be – uh, the example, not an example kind of deal. So, I mean, that's kind of how you just approach life and kind of live. So there's there's a tradition there, obviously, in the D-line room. Yeah. Um, you guys, not only this current collection, but there have been a lot of guys that have kind of worn the orange and gone on to mm -hmm. have success in the National Football League. Christian, what is it like to live up to the tradition of the defensive line that has been established? I mean, it's great. And, you know, the pre like, there's, you know, there's pressure at Clemson, you know, especially when you're on the D-line. You got to, you know, not only live up to the expectations, but exceed them. Uh, I feel <laughs> like, you know, because of the guys before us, all of our predecessors, you know, Grady, Deshaun Williams, Josh Watson, you know, uh, Carlos, DJ, all those guys, Vic Beasley, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Daquan Bowers, we put so much pressure on ourselves as men in that room. Uh, you know, and just coming there like we got to play to to the standard of you know Clemson D line, but also take it to another level. Right. Uh, you know, and I feel like we did that as a unit and as a group. Uh, and then we just our hope is that the next guys, group of guys, see what we did, and mm -hmm. only you know even you know keep Clemson program going and the D line. So it, it, it's it's funny because you have a a unique situation with so many guys in that room <laughs> to have an opportunity to be the first one or the second one off the board. Right. Dexter, how does the internal competition between you and your fellow teammates on the defensive line play out in practice? I, I say, I say, it's a lot of competition. We, we pushing each other every day. Uh, you know, in practice, we trying to set the tone. We trying to be the guy. You know, to make that first play to get the team riled up. And um, you know, just I just blessed to be in a, a, a space like that. You know, with these guys, just you know, pushing you to be your best. You know, going so. I mean, I, I won't say other other places, but there we was we was, we had to be our best every day. You know, you couldn't take a playoff. You couldn't take a rep off. You know, because that was that was critical. You know, you wanted to prove that. You know, you're the man kind of deal. But at the same time. We, use the genuine love for each other. I uh, know, I, I definitely agree. I feel like, you know, it was great because just the relationship we have, first of all, like we weren't afraid to hold each other accountable and get after each other and, you know, be on each other when we needed to, but also we just competed, you know, just because it's like, dang, Dex is taking on double team, splitting it, <laughs> making the tackle. I'm like, damn, okay, now I got to do something. Now I got to make it work. Right. Cleet coming off the edge, fast as we can go. Now Austin's like, all right, now I got to get my shine. Like, now I got to right. do my thing. Like, you know, you like, you know, you don't want to be that dude left out or not doing their job. So, like, you know, there's always that pressure. There's always that good competition, and it's the best because, uh, you know, I feel like it about it the best in all of us for sure. Right. So, you guys have one of the best environments to play a home game in. Everyone talks For about sure. Death yeah. Valley. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. right. you know, you, you had a tradition where you, you rub the rock and then you come down the hill. Mm -hmm. So I just want you to kind of take you back to that stadium. I want you oh, to yeah. just kind of picture this. Um, you come around, the bus take you around, you're about to come down the hill, <laughs> but you look down the hill mm -hmm. yeah. and there's someone at the bottom of the hill waving you down and saying, come on down here and get this tail kicking. Right. <laughs> How would you feel about that? Because as a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I might have been one of those guys that may have done that. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> well I, I think mean, it would. If, well, <laughs> I think it would. You wouldn't have been a smart young man because, you know, the teams, most nine times out of ten, the teams and people who've done that, yeah, end up getting their butt wet, you know, trying, every trying time. to egg us on every, every time, time, you know. So, I mean, as long as I've been there, no one ever did that. They knew better. Um, you know, and, we, and, you know, we didn't lose too many home games. We lost one home game when I was there. So, right. I mean, yeah, you, you you don't want that problem. So, I, so I, can say, I can say that I learned my lesson yeah, yeah. because we waved them down the hill when I was in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it didn't turn out. What was the score? Yeah. Yeah, it, was it, was good. it was a lot to a little. Exactly. It was a lot to a little. They had just lost to Wake Forest. Right. And so we felt like they were ready. Now. I will say Brian Dawkins played the next year. Brian and Dexon, they came to Chapel Hill, and we oh, took yeah. care of business mm-hmm. like we should have. But it's just one of those things I just wonder if you yeah, right, if, right, if you yeah, actually yeah. see someone wave you down, like how it changes. Right. Yeah. All the pregame <laughs> antics, yeah. Right. So, hey, look, thanks so much for you guys joining the Moose Six Podcast. Best of luck going forward. We were looking forward to hearing your name's called on draft. Appreciate yeah, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Yes, sir. All right, Buck, we've got a chance to, uh, to hear from the folks that know him. We've got a chance to hear – from the players themselves. Now, as we look forward, we've talked about what we believe these guys can be at the next level. Uh, but if we're trying to find kind of a range, a landing spot, uh, uh, where these guys end up, I would say starting off, I think there's a really good chance uh, the first pick will probably come down between Christian Wilkins and Cleland Furrow would be my guess. Uh, those, one of those two will be the first off the board. I would say followed by Dexter Lawrence, uh, followed by Austin Bryant, with the first three going in the first round, in my opinion. Austin Bryant probably in that second, third round range. Where, where are you at on these guys? No, I'm with you. I think the three guys that you mentioned are first-round possibilities, uh, Wilkins, Lawrence, and Farrell. Um, I think those guys will come off in, in the first round. I think if we had to go a particular order, I think Wilkins is going to be the first one to hear his name call, followed by Farrell, and then Dexter Lawrence is right on that line of being a first-round or second-round talent. Uh, for those three guys, I think they come in. I think they're all day-one starters and have an opportunity to impact their team immediately Bryant to me is the one that is kind of one of those hidden gems a guy that maybe is taken in the second or third round but he ends up being a surprise starter by the middle of the year and he gives you good contributions as a guy that is in the rotation no doubt I look at a team uh, like the Chicago Bears they don't have a pick till the third round buck but if for some reason a guy like Austin Bryant were to be there uh, man you throw him in there let him grow and develop learn from somebody like Khalil Mack I think that'd be an ideal spot for someone like him Oh, ideal spot. You talk about someone that plays hard, that has a knack for not only get to the pass, but a stout against the run. Those guys play in the league, and they play for a long time. May not be an A-level player in the league, but you certainly can be a B-level contributor and one that contributes for a very, very long time. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the 360 series. This is on the Clemson defensive line. We have almost made it to the end of the road of our 360 series. We have done Dwayne Haskins. We have done Nick Bosa. We've done Daniel Jones. Now you've heard the Clemson defensive line episode. Kyler Murray yet to come, Buck. That's the grand finale for us here. I didn't miss any, did I? I think that's all we got. No, I think that's all. I think that's all. I think, I think that's it. It's been an exciting time to kind of compile background information and perspective on all of these talented guys. And so, yeah, with Kyler Murray on deck, that one should be a fun one. Well, if you haven't caught any of the other previous 360 episodes, uh, you can find those. Go on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find it on NFL.com slash podcast. Uh, that's where you can find the Move the Six podcast, and uh, you can catch up with us there. We've got all your draft needs covered. We are going to be powering through to get to Nashville. And once we come out of Nashville, we'll have all the reaction, everything you need to know about this year's draft. You can find it there. And remember, all of our video content, NFL.com slash MTS video, YouTube.com slash NFL. We've got you covered. Thanks for listening here. 
to move the sticks, the 360 series featuring the Clemson defensive line. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll see you next time. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.